Welcome listeners to Dark Tides, a weekly paranormal actual play podcast. I'm your host, show creator and narrator. Brought to you by the makers of Dark Tides. It's Dark Tides. Yeah, it's all the same name. Um, We have had... You heard it here first, because we made it. Go on, Aubrey. Go and try and say it again. Go on. We've had a bunch (laughs) of episodes that have required content warnings. Uh, That hasn't gone away yet. This is still still more content warnings. Ah, man. Uh, Check the episode description. When are we going to get a lighthearted podcast, Aubrey? When's it going to happen? Oh. Well, look, so we're almost at the end of 2021. It's not looking good, listeners. The first the first stuff we're going to do next year is another one of Chester's horror series. Yeah, so I wonder if that's going to be lighthearted. <laughs> uh, and then we're doing, I think we're then doing one of mine, which is also going to be a horror one. So I'm, I'm thinking probably about 2023. <laughs> Depends what BJ's doing Depends what BJ's doing, but I'm thinking about a, a good nine months. I think we might have to put mine before yours next year, because... I feel like we yeah. might need to give people a break. I feel like at a point, we just need to put the content warning in the description and stop and, and just stop telling people. <laughs> yeah. Just tell them to pause the episode, read the description, and then come like, back. And- hey, guys, this horror podcast, it's, it it's a bit scary, <laughs> okay? It's, <laughs> it's a bit spooky. It's a bit spooky, guys. Careful. It's a bit spooky, guys. Hello, my name is Chester Lynn, and I play, I guess, just Heath now. I play Heath O'Sullivan. Yeah. It was your choice. It was my choice, but it still it stings a bit. I like Heath. You listeners better like Heath. <laughs> he ain't going away. Ain't going away. If not, it yeah. is entirely Chester's fault. Hi, my name's BJ. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I'm still getting used to this mic booster thing and like what volume I need to speak at and so if I'm a bit loud or a bit quiet this time, I'm sorry. Anyway, hi, my name's BJ. I play Alistair Stern, who's a 21-year-old emo who likes chocolate milk and I don't remember much else of his intro cuz we haven't done it in like a month and a half. So, mm. intro, he's a bit angsty, he's a bit chocolatey and he works for Tear. And if you don't know what that is, then why are you listening to this episode? Yep. Because you've had a season and a half to figure out what we're doing here. Go back and do the thing. Actually, I'm sorry, Aubrey, I could, he's furiously gesturing at me. <laughs> but I shall um, continue. <laughs> I, 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 got a, I had a message from my uncle who started listening to the show at episode 10. And apparently the beginning of episode 10 of season one is us insulting old people who start listening to the podcast in episode 10. Like old people who start the end of books. It's like, what? I need to know yeah. if it's going to finish like, right. That, that was my first experience on your podcast. I said, well, it serves you right, doesn't it? You shouldn't have started there. Why would you start at 10? It doesn't even make sense. Did you like the name of the episode? Was it a I, good episode? I have no idea. I don't know. They're all good episodes. Could, what even was that? I think that was like halfway through the, the cave yeah. sawmill arc. Listen, tell your uncle, uncle... Uh, someone just the group call has frozen, and I heard a babong. Oh, oh no, I think well, it's me. Well, your video has not been working this whole time for me, anyway. If you can't tell, uh, we're recording this over Discord still, and I hate it so much. All right, we're gonna we're gonna dispense with the niceties, but since we haven't been doing oh, Chester's video is working. It's it's finally back. I can see a glass of water, his laptop, and then his little face, like in the background. All right. We haven't done fun facts for what feels like a long time because mm-hmm. the show hasn't been in a fun fact mood. The show is not in a more fun fact mood 
But I think now, we need fun facts. But I'm going to ask you guys, for Team Wormwood, what are their favorite movies? Because I actually heard this the other day. Someone was like, it's a terrible question because it always changes. Like, So what is their current favorite movie? I've, uh, mm, yeah, tricky. I feel like I feel like Hot Fuzz. Oh, yeah, and Edgar Wright for sure. All right, but no, for my, for my side of it, I reckon, and I was thinking about this, it was a toss-up, honestly, for Puck. It was either going to be Captain Phillips, because that's the kind of person that she is, but her current favorite film uh, is the 1950s, whatever, black and white, To Kill a Mockingbird. Ooh. So angsty. Nice. So angsty. (laughs) It's not really that angsty, but there's, it, I think. We've got a little bit into the fact that Puck's childhood was not exactly uh, atypical. and I think it's just that Puck is replacing Alistair as the angsty one. Oh, for sure. I, th- I think that's all this is. Yeah, she's out-angsting him. Um, but there's there's a level at which it's like, ah, this is one of those pieces of media that sort of portrays the idyllic childhood Americana, what childhood should look like type of thing. And so I think for her, there's something really fascinating about that. What about what about Heath? Heath's probably probably something like Maze Runner, not Maze Runner. Sorry, not Maze Runner. What's the other one? Um, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. That's Blade it. Blade Runner. Oh yeah. Or Maze Runner. You know, class classic movie. He loves the Hunger I've never Games. Wa- I've never watched Blade Runner, but Heath is just has a massive uh, addiction to like late 2010s. Uh, <laughs> what's teen the movies. dystopian teen? Drama or, movies. Or <laughs> Harvey. Oh, yeah, Harvey's good. Oh, uh, yeah. Because I yeah. know, I think he's the whole thing of like, it's fun, it's old. Sorry, I'm just literally, my boss just sent me some very random Facebook thing. He's never like, no, messaged me before. you on Facebook. Aubrey, yeah, I was like, tell what is your this boss about? we are recording a podcast. We're doing actual work respect other than whatever it is that he wants you to do. I'm running my yeah, own business, exactly. Dan. Where's my D12? All right, 12 minutes in. Let's get to the episode. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Mr. Pop. The salt flats of Utah are vast, stretching far into the distance. They are an uneven, compact, dirty white. The winter sky stretches out above you. It's grey and disinterested. Across this scene, a short wheelbase Land Rover is barreling over the rough surface. The tyres kicking up dust into the air. Land Rover bumps and rattles over a rough patch of ground. Inside, Alistair Stern winces, his still fresh stitches being jolted. In the front, Heath O'Sullivan is driving, a thin cigarette smouldering in his mouth, a pair of sunglasses protecting his eyes from the dull glare. Puck Welsh is half asleep in the front passenger seat with her feet on the dash. Man, I wish the radio was working. <laughs> it's just white noise staticking through. Yeah, me too. Puck has headphones in. She's not listening. I hate that song. And I can't get it out of my head. Alistair, you are feeling 
little bit rough. Uh, you had some minor... I wouldn't. I don't know if we would call it surgery. You had some intensive first aid, almost minor surgery. Uh, you have, I think... Let me just roll... Actually, here's what I'll do. Uh, roll a d20 for me. Okay. This could go very good or very bad. Single digits? It's a six. <laughs> okay. You, oh, no. Uh, you are very lucky. You only have six stitches in your side. Oh, I thought it was going to be health back. Oh, I thought that was health regen. Okay, all right. Yep. No, no. This is the, the number of stitches that you have in your side where the Wendigo punctured your lung. Okay. Six is a pretty pretty tidy little number. Uh, everything else has been able to be patched with tape and these, these sort of things. I bet that's what Alistair um, was thinking too as they were stitching up his lung. He's like, man, what a tidy little number of stitches. I love how it's man. even. I, yeah, I was gonna, well. I was going to like get you to roll a d100, and I'm thinking, what if he gets eighty something? Surely he couldn't His have. His body would be stitches. stitches. <laughs> yeah. Now, mechanically speaking, what is your max health? Uh, my max health is thirty nine. All right. As of today, and until you get a real rest, your max health is twenty five. Okay. Um, and we'll say that you're at twenty. What's actually, yeah, what is your current health as of the end of the Wendigo arc? Uh, I had eight health left at the end of the last right. episode. We'll say that you're at 20 out of 25. All right. You are feeling a bit better. You have slept a great deal in the last couple of days. Uh, what about the stress? Is it's, it does, hasn't reset? Take a D6 back. That's four. Okay. Yeah, you've had a little bit of time. You've mostly slept. You haven't had a whole lot of time to process things. <laughs> the tier operation in Slate Ridge has wound down. Most of it was handed over to the American cousins, as you call them, the American equivalent of tier. You have gathered up your people and you were beginning to reorganize yourself to fly home when a new message came through and it was directly for Team Wormwood, for you, Puck and Heath. It was a request from one of the heads of Tyr that you investigate a distress call that had come from the Utah Salt Flats in Bonneville. Now this was quite unusual because it was a cry for help from an American investigative unit out in Utah. This was a small joint project between Tyr and the Cousins. A rare thing, not something that happens very often, but they had sent out a signal to Tyr specifically asking for assistance. And Tyr has directed you three to detour on your way home. That is why you are rumbling over salt flats in this Land Rover. How is Alistair feeling after the last... Let's say two weeks of eventful, eventfulness. Yeah. Um, well, apart from being in quite a lot of pain, that's physically that's what's going on. Especially his like his left side and everything is still incredibly sore. Um, but emotionally, I don't know. You know that feeling when you've if you've been working really hard on something like a project or. Uh, I don't know, something that you've been really working hard towards or like a something you've been studying and you, you finish it and there's like the sense of relief that comes with knowing you've got to the end of the hard thing that you were doing and it's 
it's completed, but also you there's almost that like lost feeling of not knowing what to do now is kind of washing over him as he looks out at the it you said it was daytime, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's looking out at the the bright sunshine of the salt flats, which is just such a massive contrast to the dark winter enclosing winter feeling of Slate Ridge and the forest around it. And it, it just feels like a different planet almost. It feels like the events of the last couple of couple of days or, you know, however long we said that arc has been. It's like four days or something. Almost like they're not real. Like he's there's been so much has changed for him in that time and it was so stressful and now he's kind of said goodbye to Ernest potentially for a long time or forever or how long he doesn't know um, and it's like he's stepping into a, just a whole new world and a whole new chapter except that he has no idea what he's doing like it's it's not necessarily a hopeful new chapter it's just a lost what am I going to do now but also relief that it's over and kind of all those feelings are really just going around in his head like a little washing machine um, as he's looking out at the, the sunshine and the sun being reflected back into his eyes from the from the salt what about Heath uh, Heath is the same uh, his ears still ringing from a call he had with Charlotte <laughs> uh, his, he hopes that her ears are ringing as well because he, he threw back quite a bit um Still thinking about as he left the the mission back at um, Slate Ridge. Uh, he's thinking about the wrap up that's happening there as Warwick was moving in to kind of take up the last kind of uh, work between Tia and the agency. And he's thinking about how the rest of his crew are getting are going. They'd most likely be getting back to to London by now and debriefing and all that. And he's kind of just like, why are we here? Why not just send Warwick and whatever team he was having? Like, I have two team members who are not in the right place for a mission and we're having to go out. That was half of the call he had with Charlotte of, why is my team being sent there? One of them can barely walk. So he is grumbling to himself watching the the Celt, like, fly past him. The, the call was rather brief and rather loud, but... What Charlotte made quite clear was that this was a favour to the Americans after their involvement in Slate Ridge. The request came through as you were wrapping up that there was a distress signal, that it was a joint team, and that um, that the cousins had most of their men tied up in Slate Ridge with the clean-up, and so to send you. It was a special request from the Americans that you, as a team, were sent. And it was also made clear that this wasn't like a dire emergency this was um a distress call but in the essence of potentially having found something important yeah uh now you would know from your brief conversation that the very very small research facility out here on the utah flats is officially for the u.s government um it's a small observatory that runs a satellite dish that's doing sort of like space signal probe monitoring lots of that sort of mumbo jumble uh you don't know for sure what they are actually doing for the cousins and for tier it seems to be some other kind of monitoring work 
as you are speeding along, you can see that there is a small blob of grey in the distance, and it's growing steadily larger as you approach. You can see as this thing sort of takes shape that it is a very squat, solid, low bunker of concrete. Behind it, there is a medium-sized satellite dish bolted into a giant plinth on the ground to keep it stable. You can see as you get closer again that there is a small solar array that seems to be running the station. This is almost the uh, warm climate equivalent of a Arctic research facility. Okay. As you begin to approach, you start to slow your speed. Puck begins to wake up, uh, takes her feet off the dashboard, sort of shakes her head and rubs her eyes. Uh, You can see that the solar array is fairly large, large enough to run this whole facility alone. There's no outside power source. Um, The bunker itself looks like a one-story square concrete block. Next to it, there is a carport sort of shed, uh, a semi-enclosed space with three SUVs in the little parking bay, and there is space for your car too. You can see no activity at this point. There's no movement. There's no one there waiting outside to greet you. Uh, Heath doesn't pull up to the, the carport. He goes as close to the building as he can because he doesn't want Alistair walking any more than he has to. You can park very close to the entrance. Okay. There is only one entrance door that you can see here, and it's sort of uh, a fairly standard steel door set into the concrete um, quite close to the the carport. You would step out of the main entrance pretty much directly into the carport. As you draw up, what are you taking any equipment? Are you preparing anything? Is there anything that you decide that you're going to take in with you? So um, in terms of how much, because obviously Heath has had the briefing, um, but how much information about exactly what we're supposed to be doing does Alistair have? We will say that you've been briefed this morning. You've been asleep for a great deal of the last couple of days, um, but you yep. you know as much as I've just told Chester and BJ. You're here because there was some kind of a distress signal, but uh, there seemed to be no implication that it was anything particularly dangerous. Yep. It seemed, in fact, to be uh, a good thing and that it was requested that Team Worm would be the ones to to attend. And is there someone we know that we're meeting or is there no one here? Uh, there was no name given, but there is supposed to be a five-man team here, a five-individual okay. team. Yeah, Alistair would not be preparing anything then. He he more is just kind of, uh, when, once the car stopped and Heath's got out, he just sort of slowly, slowly gets his body moving again and stretches his way out of the car and like just rolls his neck a bit and kind of stretches up because I assume he's been sitting for a long time if they made it all the way to Utah in like three days. Yeah, you flew a good chunk of the way, but you've been in the car for about the last six hours. Yeah, it's kind of a much more intense version of having sat in a car for a while given that he also, his body takes a lot more encouraging to get moving again. So he's kind of just blinking and breathing in the fresh air and um, stretching his body out and yeah, making sure he has like his standard equipment on him. But other than that, he's as far as he's concerned, he's just here to like talk to some people, and probably Heath will do mm-hmm. all of that, and then go home. Yep. Puck is doing the same. She's stretching out her legs. She's not carrying any of her tattooed equipment today, as she has been resting, and she does actually carry the weight of whatever she's got on her. So she has probably similar to you, whatever would be standard kit to carry. She probably has. Um, 
little extendable baton. She might have her uh, her side arm. Probably not much else. She gives you a protein bar. She seems half asleep too. You know that she's been sleeping almost as much as you have been. There is a very large bruise on her forehead and some tape where they have kind of not quite stitched but had to tape back the, the gash on her forehead. Uh, Alistair takes the protein bar and starts eating it. Just says, do you have a good nap on the way over? Uh, I wouldn't say sleeping in a car or a plane is good. So no, not really. At least we do get to sleep now, right? Yep, and the nightmares have just about stopped, so that's a good thing too. Ah, uh, yeah, you know, probably be battling with that for a while. Hey, what do you think the likelihood is that Heath will let us catch a baseball game before we go? I mean, oh, Ooh. no. It's off-season, isn't it, winter? Do they have seasons? <sighs> yeah. the I mean, like, the but baseball season is summer. Like, spring to summer, winter's off-season, I think. Oh, right. Well, okay, what about, what about, like, Florida? Isn't it always summer there? Surely they're playing baseball. We could stop off on the way in, like, Miami or Look, something, couldn't we? Yeah, but Miami and Florida generally just scare me, so no. Oh, me too. I I don't disagree, but... Um... Heath, like, slams the back of the the car as he's pulling, a, um, a like, a standard tier duffel bag over his shoulder. He's like, do any of you have any, like, concept of distance? We are uh, very far away from either of those places. Geography yeah, was not my strong suit. What we have to... We have to go that way to get home, don't we? Where do you think the airport is? Yeah, well, Alistair, where do you think the airport is? Well, no, what I'm saying we is... We flew here. Yeah, what I'm saying is if we we could direct flight or we could stop over. Eve's walked to the front yeah, door. Yeah, look, can we just talk to these people and then we can go again? Kids these days. All right, you walk to the door. Do you knock? Are you doing anything else? Eve just, like, thumps it. Uh, all right. You thump on the door. There is no response. There's just an echo. Americans. It's going to open the door. All right. The door's not locked. You can step inside. Alistair's going to roll, a, like, an investigation. Not even investigation. Just, like, as Heath's going up to the door, Alistair's at the back of the group. So he just naturally is having a look around at the outside of the building to see, like, oh, is there a, like, is there somebody working outside or something? Uh, and mm-hmm. that's a six, so, you know, he's just kind of a cursory look around. He's not really paying any particular attention. You can see that there's, you know, the three SUVs in the, the sort of parking spaces. There's some crates here and there that have obviously been unloaded fairly recently but haven't been brought inside yet. There's a thin layer of dust over most things, but you would gather that's probably just part and parcel of being out here. Um, you don't see anyone outside. There's some water tanks behind the parking area. Okay. Heath, as you step into the entranceway, you can see that this is sort of like effectively a mud room. Uh, There's a wall of small lockers on the right, and there's sort of like a bench on the left with hooks and things where coats um, and rain jackets and stuff would be hung up for anyone heading outside to do maintenance on any of the equipment and those sort of things. This is where all of the outside gear would be kept. Uh, There is an open doorway that leads further in. Okay. You continue to stroll. You move through this locker room and you enter a fairly large open space and you can see straight away that this is obviously like 
the communal living room, there's a round table uh, and half a dozen chairs sitting around. There's a lounge and a TV in the corner. It is a concrete bunker of a building. It's not very homely, but you can see that people have kind of done their best. There's a few uh, laminated posters on the wall of like uh, scenic nature photography and that sort of stuff that have been blue tacked to the wall. There's a little kitchen where obviously meals are prepared, but there is no one here and there is no signs of life. There's no cups on the table. There's clean washing up that's been done and left in the drying rack. There's It looks extremely tidy, but extremely empty. Heath, mm. we definitely were supposed to have people meeting us here, right? I mean, tea is known to be a little dysfunctional, but not giving me the wrong location. That's usually not the... Hello? We look like we're in the right place. Is there any response? No, there is not. You can see from where you are in the left-hand corner, there is a set of stairs that obviously lead down to a lower floor, which to you is not really surprising. You know that this is supposed to be a research facility and it makes sense that there'd be some stuff built underground. Okay. Heath is just going to really quickly walk over. You said there was like a lounge. Is there like a coffee table? He's going to run his, like, finger across it. Is mm-hmm. there any dust? Immaculately clean. He's going to look up at you guys and he's going to say, Now, what type of... Unless they have a very strict series of rules about cleanliness. I mean, I've never seen a tear barracks kept this clean. Well, maybe they just got somebody who really likes cleaning the place up. I don't know. It looks more like they've shipped out. Do they do, like, field research here or something? Like, could the team have gone out to, like, collect samples or something? I, I don't know. Uh, well, leaving their cars here. Yeah. It's, uh, unless they want to go by foot across the whole plains, it's uh, not the best. You know, let, let's... There'll be a comms room or something. Yeah. Okay. Puck is writing the cupboards in the kitchen looking for food. <laughs> <laughs> All right. They have Oreos. Oh, can I can I take one of those? Yeah, you want one? Yeah. Heath, I don't have any food with me up here to simulate the realistic experience. I'm sorry, listeners. <laughs> Heath takes one. I watched the Jubai day on those those bad boys. Um, I don't think Oreos go off. Yeah, too much sugar. Mm-hmm. All right, Heath's gonna walk into the next room. They do go stale though. Other than the stairs leading down, adjoining this common room, there is a bunk room and like a common bath, shower, room. Are you investigating those? Uh, just a, a cursory uh, Probably Alistair and, and Puck would like take one each, probably. Um, the bathroom is immaculately clean. There are little caddies of um, soap and shampoo and hair products and all of that sort of stuff that are obviously like individual people's. So there's different brands of soap. There's different stuff. Um, everyone has their little... Their little box with their own stuff in it on the shelf okay. uh, in the bunk room there are five bunks they're all perfectly well made like to hospital bed standards of neatly tucked there's personal effects in side tables um there's books on nightstands and stuff but everything is almost like an ikea showroom organized and squared away okay can i have a little look in like the wardrobe or like drawers or like wherever the clothes would be stored or like shoes. Yep. 
you find clothes in the little lockers. You find shoes uh, neatly Alice, under stop the doing bed. That. That's not it's someone else's stuff. Yeah, uh, no, sorry, I'm just. As he takes another Oreo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I was, I was just checking. It's okay. Uh, Heath's going to look around. Is there any markings on doors that might signify where, like, a comms room or anything like that are, or like? Oh yeah, is there like it does seem posts? to be. No, it does seem to be very informal. The most formal thing is that there is like um, a green and white medical kit box screwed to the wall in the kitchen with a fire blanket and those sort of things as sort of like workplace health and safety regulations. Yeah. Alice is going to open the first aid kit just to check that the supplies are there. Everything's there. You've now checked pretty much everything in this top floor. All right. Well, I guess we need to go downstairs. Oh, yep. Well, that's uh, might as well. Uh, you begin to clatter down the stairs. The stairs are fairly industrial, steel stairs kind of put into this concrete bunker of a room. As you head down to the second level uh, and you reach the end, there's overhead lighting, sort of pretty industrial strip lighting, uh, and there's a long corridor with what looks like two different sections to your left. I can actually send you both a screenshot of this map if you would like it. Oh, yes, please. And you realise everything down here, this is a lot more official. None of this is living quarters. This is obviously all work space. Okay. Puck begins to sort of wander down the corridor. She's sort of calling. Hello? Hello? Ah. Puck, don't be that way. Uh... Heath is going to send you, Alistair, into like the next open door, and he's going to go over to whichever one is labelled like work area or lab or whatever, and thump on that one again. Yeah, you turn down the first left, which is another little corridor, and you see that there's three doors on the left-hand side and two on the right. Um, these ones are quite clearly marked. The first on the left says storage room. The next one says locker room. Far down the end, if you bother to look, it says uh, decontamination showers on the right-hand side. Um, it doesn't have a label. The door is semi-open, and the next one down is, like, double glass doors. Uh, Alice is going to go into that first... or go to that first door on the right that's slightly open and just, like, gently knock on it. Hello. Uh, this is... Team Wormwood from Tier, hello, and then push it open. As you move in, you see this is the main workspace, clearly. Uh, there is a large monitor array with a desk chair in front of it where someone would be monitoring a bunch of stuff. What you realise is that um, the display and everything is all up and it seems to be monitoring a lot of different seismic activity and these sort of things. Okay. Uh, the rest of the room is taken up with... Uh, four other desks where there is paperwork and reports and a bunch of other equipment. There's computers on most of the tables. There's some filing cabinets and some shelving and this sort of stuff. This seems to be the area where whatever research they're doing is being processed, collated, reviewed, sent out to whoever it goes to. Um, it's neat, it's tidy, and all the chairs are empty. I'm just going to roll an investigation on the monitors purely because I think Alistair, like having gone to the effort of walking in, he's not going to like just turn and leave straight away. He wants to just, just out of interest, see what kind of things are being monitored. I mean, if he 
understands or recognizes any of it just out of pure interest. Uh, he doesn't. That's a two. <laughs> it's like, man, that's some nice yeah, numbers, you... and then walks out again. This is this is odd stuff to you. Definitely, some of this looks seismic. That you can tell. There's some yep. map stuff here. Um, they seem to be using a lot of audio equipment to record something, but you can't really tell what. Okay. Um, and there is a bunch of what you would assume would be video camera feeds that are currently switched off. There's nothing running there. Uh, and you don't know oh. if that would just be security footage from the outdoor stuff, whether it would be, or whether it would be whatever it is that they're apparently researching and monitoring, whether it's like in field cameras. Okay. So Alistair kind of thinks that's a little bit odd just purely because there was nobody like on guard or like outside. Not that that's the kind of place that you need to worry about security. It's more just, you know, you don't want random people stumbling across it. Um, so he's like, if there's nobody in the station, you'd think that maybe the CCTV system was turned on or something. So I just want to have a look and see if there's like an obvious on button for the displays or something. Because I think if it was more complicated, he's not going to try. But if there's an obvious like, you know, CCTV monitor button that turns it on or something, he's going to um, push that. Um, yeah, make a skill check with your, you have a proficiency in computer stuff, I think. Meanwhile, what's Heath doing? Well, Heath was actually doing something rather similar, so I rolled an eight. Are there any security cameras in the hallway? Yep. Is the light on on them? No. They look all powered down. That's a seven. Mixed result. Um, you can get some of them online. It seems like some of them are activated in different ways, or you ha would have to go through a different security protocol to access some of them. Yep. Um, but yeah, you can see that there are security cameras for the outside, the security cameras for the inside. You can see Heath and Puck on a couple of the monitors okay. and there's one um in the display that's showing a different room somewhere you haven't seen yet which seems to be um a storage area perhaps you can see some pretty industrial equipment in it stuff okay. that looks like it's used either for excavation or for earth moving but small equipment uh, and you can okay. see what looks like a mine shaft Ooh, that's cool but you don't know where that is. There's no indication on the screen of where that location is. Once he's like seen that, he sort of determines that he probably shouldn't play anymore with other people's tech. Um, and, you know, kind of gaining nothing else from that, he heads out and he's like, oh, nobody in there. Have you checked the lab yet? Uh, Heath is on the phone trying to call the, the contact that he was given for this location, either the manager or someone in charge. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because he would have been given the contact number. Uh, five. Because, I mean, it's it's dialing a phone. I don't think you really need to roll for that. Uh, the phone on one of the desks where Alistair has just been begins to ring. Is that the only number they gave you, Heath? They couldn't have given me a mobile number? Something that was on someone? Yeah, yeah, it's the only number they gave me. He's going to start scrolling yeah, through okay. his phone. He's like, do I call Charlotte? No. Uh, can both of you make a perception check for me? Two. Seven. Seven, uh, Alistair, you were thinking about like the how these camera systems are set up, what they're possibly oh, monitoring no, all of this stuff. <laughs> He's like looking yeah, at and, the and brand literally... of camera and yeah, yeah, and you're thinking about how much it might cost to have a setup like this. Um, and then yeah, Heath, you're kind of thinking a lot of the same stuff. You're thinking about this this phone situation, and then it just like creeps into the back of your mind. I haven't seen Puck in five minutes. Where's Puck? <laughs> 
He's going to, uh, yeah. like, spin around and, like, point it out. Where's Puck? Puck! Puck! All right, calm down. She probably what? just went into one of the other rooms. Where are you? I'm down here. She sticks her head out of the double uh, glass doors at the very end of this corridor that you're in. He's going to, like, What's point in there? Don't touch anything. She's got an Oreo in her hand and another one in her mouth. I'm not. What's in there? Rocks. Cool. Bunch of boring rocks. You follow her to the, the doors. And you can see this is obviously like the lab or test room. Um, it's a lot sleeker. It's got a lot more um, clean steel surfaces. There's sort of two big work tables. There's a bunch of what looks like scientific equipment machines used for running tests. Uh, there's a whole cabinet of samples. All of them look to be rock samples taken from the salt flats, these sort of things. Um, incredibly clean. There's no notes. Nothing seems to be labelled either. This just looks like a workstation of sample taking and testing. Alistair like, walks in, looks around, and he's like, looks like a kitchen, but like a rock kitchen. Like, no, 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 yeah. Kitchen for cooking yeah. rocks. Very yeah. clean. I'm pretty sure this is what a meth lab looks like. Right. Uh, well, um, yeah, do I, I guess need... Rock kitchen, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> eh, crystals are rocks. Uh, and he's going to try one of the other doors on the left-hand side now, which I guess is now uh, which on his right hand. Uh, let me get yeah. the map up. Well, he's not going to check the decontamination showers, so probably the next one along, which is the locker room. Oh, okay. Make a perception check. Eleven. Eleven. You are beginning to get suspicious. You're beginning to go, this is all a bit weird. This is all a bit too clean, too tidy. No one's here. I'm starting to get suspicious. So uh, it's really satisfying to you when you step into this room and you start rifling through people's things that you realise that all five of the suits that should be contained in this locker room that seem to be uh, outdoor radiation proof uh excursion suits all five of them are missing okay uh alistair walks out and he's like the suits are missing that's a bit weird uh he's gonna walk over and he's gonna try and open the door to the decontamination showers because his thought process is decontamination rad suits if they're not here maybe they're in the showers decontaminating and that's why the suits aren't there I don't know if everybody would be in there anywhere at once, but also all the suits are gone. Maybe I'll try that. You poke your head in. Uh, This looks like any sort of gym communal shower system. There's sort of little shut-off areas or whatever. Uh, But this is obviously where whatever work they were doing to make sure that nothing uh, was allowed to sort of contaminate different samples, these sort of things. This is a cleaning room. It's spick and span. There's nothing here. All right. Uh, I checked the whole room. Nothing there. Okay, so Alistair's going to walk out, and then as he's walking back along the corridor to check the last room on this level before they head where the next section is, he goes, uh, I did see on the CCTV that there was like a like a mine shaft thing. I don't know if maybe we want to check that next, but there's nobody here, and um, the like suits are gone. Ah, uh, so the CCTV was running. Uh, no, it wasn't, but I managed to start up some of it. Some of it was password locked, but... Heath pauses and looks at you, and he kind of bites his lip a little bit. I know, I thought the same. It's weird. 
If there's no one here, they should have at least had their security system running. And Puck, anyway, Puck is is reading one of like the books from the office. She's like found a folder and she's just wandering around with it. Did you guys know that Tear sponsors people to dig rocks out of the salt flats? That that's it. They pay it's people to do science, that. Puck, and I open the door to the storage room. <laughs> it's boring. Uh, the storage room is pretty small, pretty cramped. It's packed with shelving. Uh, you can see that down here basically is a mixture of food and comestibles and household stuff that goes upstairs, obviously. And it's also the place where they're storing most of the sort of mundane equipment used in the lab. It's all the tech equipment. There's uh, cabling and extension cords. There's battery packs for the solar obviously it all come down here this is where the the batteries are stored all that sort of stuff it's a hold all utility storage room okay and it's not the room that i saw on the cctv it's a different room no it's not okay uh, but this is the first corridor that you've gone down there is one at the very end of the first when you came down the stairs you could see that there was one down the far end to the left as well uh, I'm going to look through the storage room and I'm looking for like cartridge masks like or like air filter masks. Um, yeah, you could find some, some of those for sure. Okay, I'm going to take three of those out. I'm going to hand one to each of the others. Um, I go, just in case there's, I don't know, something dusty down there. I don't know. If they have decontamination showers and suits and stuff, then I feel like... He smiles Puck. like, yes, and this will help. And he puts yeah. it down. Puck pulls the, the Bowie knife from her forearm. This is one of the tattoos that is always there. It doesn't ever really go away even when she's resting. She pulls the Bowie knife and she's like, I swear, something's just going to come out of one of these rooms and going to try and stab us. Heath, is this a thing? Do you just get paranoid like this now? Do you just assume that everything is going to try and kill you? Because I feel like everything is going to try and kill us. You see now that Heath has literally pulled his gun from behind him and says, yep. Yeah, this this isn't mentally good for me. <laughs> Alistair clips the mask like around his neck, so it's just hanging around his neck, and pulls out his switchblades. He's like, "Ah, no, 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 yeah, no, this Mr. is Stitches, yeah. back of the line." <laughs> yeah, Puck is like gesturing with the knife at you. He's like, "Yeah, put those away. You're not allowed to have the the sharp things." <laughs> <laughs> Am I not allowed to defend myself, Puck? No, that's my job. I'm the only one that gets to bully you, Alistair. Great, and you did such a good job of that when we were in the dam. Yes, thank you very much for that. As he, like, in a really, really, (laughs) in a really, like, condescending, like, m'lady way, like, gestures for her to go in front. He's like, oh, please, be my guest. Go in front. Be my, you know, protect me like you did the other day. (laughs) Yeah, you're just missing a fedora, aren't you? Heath has put his like his finger to his lips now. Well, you said you didn't like the colour of my hair. Maybe I should invest in one. Children, please. That's that's about it. All right. Uh, so Heath is going to um, uh, click the safety off his gun and he is going to start making his way along the corridor. Okay. Yeah. Um, the corridor is insignificant. It basically just heads straight to the end of the clearly the building space. It turns left and there's another staircase down which would now take you pretty significantly underground. Okay, uh, Heath looks at the two of them and holds up three fingers, points down, and starts to descend. Puck is moving after you. Uh, As kind of his standard, Alistair 
before he rounds the corner, looks back because he's now at the back of the group, like checks to make sure there's nothing behind them, all those things, and then follows them down when he's sure that everything's empty behind. You descend these stairs quietly as you can. It's hard to avoid a little bit of clatter because they are steel industrial stairs. They're not meant to be quiet. Yeah. Uh, and you emerge into a third level. And this, Alistair, you very quickly realize is the CCTV feed. You see that this final basement level uh, is basically just one square room about the size of the others. There are several pieces of digging or excavating equipment lined up. Uh, they all look very well used, but very well kept. There is a array of different trolleys that are used for um, transporting samples. And you can okay. see actually that there are two different mining shaft tunnels. And it seems like these have been um, added later that this was built and then the mining began. You can see that there is steel structure around the entrance to the holes to keep them uh, like the, the point between the concrete of this basement level and the actual tunnels to keep that all very sturdy. And yep. there are two tunnels. There's one uh, on your far left and there's one kind of on your immediate right. And you can see that they seem to okay. lead into uh, salt cave tunnels underneath these planes. But you do not have a whole lot of room in your head for this because directly in front of you in this space that you had already seen from the CCTV feed, but what was missing from that picture, what was just out of frame, is a pool of blood on the floor. It looks big enough to be several litres. And oh, you can see right. now what you just thought was maybe some shadow or some grain on the actual recording is a drip trail uh, from this pool of blood that leads into both different tunnels. All right. The first thing Alistair's going to do is... Um, I want to look around and note, after I see the blood and, and the general layout, I want to note the position of the security camera and if there's a second one that's not on, basically to try and figure out, was it deliberate that this is positioned out of the camera's reach or was it just, you know, just a random accident? That's the first thing. And then as I'm doing that, I'm going to pull out my communicator and start communicating a message back to Tyr. Uh, all right, roll for the communicator for me, will you? Seven. Seven. You are underground. The The signal is attempting to send, and it's basically sending the notification. When the signal strength is strong enough, the message will be sent. Okay. Alistair, um, I guess, just speaks into it, and then whether that's going to be like a radio signal or a like speech-to-text thing, um, he just speaks in and he says... So he says, like, the date and the time, and he says, Team Wormwood arrived at Jericho Research Station, Utah. Crew missing... Further investigations currently in process or something, and just like sends that so that Tia has an idea that something is gone wrong or is not the way it should be, and then he also takes a photo of the blood trails and attaches that to the message so it will send as well. As you are doing this, you are casting your eyes around, uh, and it takes a little while, but you light upon 
another security camera almost in the opposite corner. This one would capture the other side of the room, the other entrance and the stairs. And you, even from this distance, uh, you can see that the cords, the the power cord and the, the cable that would be sending the video feed have been cut. Heath, Puck, look, there. Someone cut the wires to the cameras. Heath, make a paranormal roll for me. Nat 12. As soon as you see blood, you get this prickling feeling down your back. You you have your 9mm in your hand already. You begin to lower your stance. You move forwards. You're checking subconsciously the size of the pool. You're seeing how old it is, whether it's begun to dry. Uh, you're checking the distance between the different splatters on the ground that would mark how fast the blood was dripping, that it's going in two different directions. He, this, As you are staring down the first tunnel into the darkness, you begin to sense a shifting of movement. His mind begins to run as well, thinking we have an immaculately cleaned building, we have an entirely missing crew, and we have a cut line. Everything bringing us down here. And he is going to flick his head to Alistair and Puck and yell, Get to the stairs! Before he'd even spoken it, like just the look that Heath gave him just communicated exactly what he was thinking. Like before he'd even spoken, Alistair turns and starts not running because he's not really up to that, but as quick as he could um, towards the stairs to go back up into the area where they were before. You start making the stairs. Puck is close behind you. She knows when to follow orders. As you are mounting the stairs, you are uh, halfway up. You feel the rumble, and then you hear the explosion. As above you, a charge is detonated, and you feel the entire building shake. Alistair immediately takes cover. I don't know how far up the stairs I am, but kind of huddles down, covers his covers his head with his arms, like turns away so that he's not like facing into, because obviously you can tell that it's coming from ahead of him because he doesn't know what's exploding. You hear this rumble and you can see uh, a dust cloud rushes down uh, the corridor and then down over the stairs and you are covered in a light film of dust. You realise that whatever exploded must have been further back in this second story. It wasn't an immediate right next to you explosion, but it was on this this level that you're heading up to. Okay, is the light still on? They are flickering, but they are still on for the moment. As you begin to get up and round the corner, as you enter this first hallway, you can already see that there is nothing but a pile of rubble where the stairs were to the upper levels. Someone has blown the stairs. Alistair looks back to the other two and he goes... Someone's trapped us down here. I'm going to check the stairs. And he starts moving forward, and then it's probably up to Puck or Heath to stop him if they want him to not go all the way. Puck is with you. Heath is still below in the basement floor. Alistair signals to her as they're, like, walking forward slowly to look in the corridor, because there's as they're walking, there's that corridor on the right. Basically signals she needs to check the corridor while he goes straight to check the stairs. 
so that they're not just like walking past a potential place where somebody could be. Puck is moving. She's drawn her pistol too. She's got the Bowie knife out still. She's checking. Uh, Alistair, as you come to the stairs, you realize that there must have been charges planted underneath the stairs themselves that you had missed when you walked down. See, if this was a film, we would have had like the camera on the other side of the stairs to like see the blinking red light as we walked down. That would have been so epic. There is a massive... They have basically blown part of the building above and this stairwell and brought all the rubble down to block the only exit. So we're fully blocked in. You're fully blocked in. You would assume there must be some kind of ventilation system to get adequate air flow down here. Sure. So you're probably not in danger of suffocating, but you certainly don't have a viable way out right now. Alice is immediately going to check his communicator because they're now much closer to the surface than they were before, and he should have a strong enough signal to send the uh, the message that he wrote before. Uh, it actually... Make a computer roll for me. Nine. Nine. Yes, you are certain that you should have enough signal right now. You definitely should have enough signal right now, but it's not going through. And the only conclusion that you can come to is that something is blocking it. Okay, interesting. Um, all right, so he's going to turn and he says, the exit's sealed. We need to get to the workroom. I'm going to see if I can boost a signal out of here. Can you cover me? Yep, I can, I can cover you. I'm a little worried about Heath, though. Heath, you good? Heath, you hear the voice calling down the stairs to you. You are standing in this lonely, empty basement space and you are staring into the blackness of the first tunnel as you see something shifting in the dark. Looks like they've trapped us in here. I'm going to try and get a signal out, but it feels like something's jamming me, so I'm going to try and use their equipment. Everything quiet down there? Heath is going to put his gun in his holster and he's going to call back. Yep. Puck, you watch him. Roger. Federer. Oh, you had to, didn't you? You had to. Heath is going to squat down and look down the the entrance to the cave. Do you want to make another paranormal roll for me? Okay, well, that would be a 13. Your hackles are up. Everything in you from more than a decade of training is screaming at you that you have walked straight into a trap. And in the sort of indistinct darkness of this first tunnel, you can tell that there is something standing just out of sight, just beyond what your eyes can make out. Heath is going to pull the duffel bag off of his shoulder and grabbing the kind of uh, part that goes over your shoulder by both hands, he's going to swing it once, twice, and then throw it back up the stairs onto the platform there. Do you take your eyes off? No. Heath smiles and says, you know, there's a lot of confidence in a man to call three people here. A lot of confidence. But seems to have worked. The figure in the shadows shifts and then begins to step forwards. As this figure moves from the entrance of the first tunnel, the light begins to spread over him, starting with the feet. You can see heavy black boots. You can see 
dark trousers, perhaps made from jean material, perhaps from something else, it's hard to tell. A sturdy belt buckle, a white shirt tucked in at the waist. You can see that there is a tie knotted at the neck. You can see white surgical gloves on the hands. You can see that there are scars running up the arms. And as he steps fully into view, Heath, you can see the face. It is a mass of bandages that all look perfectly clean. You can make out no feature, very little of a mouth, very little of a nose, even the eyes are almost like goggles, welder's goggles underneath the bandages that peek through. And strangely, perhaps most strangely of all, you can see two long, tall ears protruding from the head that look disturbingly like rabbit ears. This figure clicks his neck to the side and then to the other. He flexes his hands, the rubber of the gloves squeaking as he steps forward. In one hand, he is holding a crowbar. Heath instinctively goes to his hips to grab his batons and realises he doesn't have them. Heath takes his hands from his hips and lowers his stance a little bit. Very confident indeed. Confidence is not so important when you have preparation. A great deal of preparation makes for light work. And he hefts the crowbar. If you want to catch a rat, you've got to get it in a corner first. Heath rolls his shoulders. If you want to catch a rat, you better be a cat. And he like nods at the ears. Humour is often the first line of defence. Unfortunately, it only works on those who think you're funny. So I take that you don't think I'm funny? Only in a pitiable sort of way. Heath kind of breaks from his like lower down stance, like waves his hands. Like, Sorry, I'm, I'm really struggling to take you seriously here. And he like gestures at the ears. <laughs> it's like, it's, listen, man, everything else is working for me here. The bat, the blood, all that. Really spooky, but man. Feel your hand. What? And he launches forwards. Oh, you're making a posed speed check for me. Uh, four. You, your brain is still processing what he said. Like, feel your hand. What could that? And then he is in your personal space. He takes two steps forward so fast, and you can already realize that he is two-handedly swinging the crowbar for your chest as an upswing into your ribs. Uh, another two. He doesn't block in time. You, your, your brain goes into self-defense mode and you go, do I bring my arm down to block it? That's going to break my arm. Do I try and roll backwards? Do I have enough time? Your brain is desperately trying to make these calculations and it's not fast enough. You feel the crowbar crunch into your lower ribs. You feel your feet leave the ground and you are hurled backwards. You are thrown into the rest of the room. You hit the ground, you roll into the puddle of blood and it smears the ground after you as you slide. And you are going to tank seven points of damage. You are winded. You're pretty sure that cracked a rib. I got another two. I rolled three twos in a row. 
He f- tries to get up and slips in the blood. You feel a hand rubbery wrap around your ankle. You feel your body begin to be dragged. You are chest down on the ground. You're trying to grab purchase with your hands and then you are flung and this time you hit the wall. He flings you basically at the wall. You hit, you feel another crunch in your ribs as you hit the ground again and roll. Okay, Uh, he rolls onto his front and brings his arms up and punches the ground using his vertigo ability to push himself directly upright. You are winded, you are wheezing, and your head is ringing from the pain, but you are beginning to kick into gear. Cracks his head to the side and full body slaps himself across the face and then, like, clicks back his shoulder as he waits for the thing to come towards him. This is the morning star I was promised. And he launches for you again. Crowbar in hand. Right. Speed checks. Ten. Ten will... Yeah, you get the best of him this time. Okay, so he sees the crowbar coming and this time turns and as it passes him, grabs onto the hand and pulls himself around to the other side of the thing and crunches his fist into its side, basically. Yep. Uh, Roll damage. That's five. Okay. You punch him right in the kidney. Okay, he brings the... uh, punches them with his right hand and as he does, using the vertigo ability, kicks off the ground with his left leg and tries to jam his knee into its chest. Make a combat roll. Nine. Does not hit. Doesn't hit. A nine does... Doesn't hit. That's on the upper side of a success... Man. You hit him in the, like, the back, the lower back where the kidney is, and as you spin around and bring your knee up going for uh, the chest, you realise that he's just ducked very low. He's gone almost to the ground as you pass him, and he's going to reach up for you. Uh, An 11 to hit. As your knee's coming up, he ducks low and then comes up, grabs your leg from the underside and reaches for your face, grabs you by the face and then body slams you into the ground. Alistair, in the control room as you are trying to get this signal blocker out of the way as you're trying to regain your ability to communicate with the outside world, you can see this happening on the monitor screen. This shadowy figure with a bandaged face uh, that moves so fast the camera is really struggling to keep it in the frame rate uh, as he and Heath are fighting in the basement. Okay, so I pre-rolled for this so that I would have the outcome predetermined. So I rolled a nat one plus two for the the like communicator. So I guess that would just be, which Alistair is probably not surprised at, is just that he has also jammed like the station's communications too. So like Alistair's is jammed, but also the main communications are jammed as well as he discovers that um he then looks up and i rolled a seven which is a mixed result um to see the cctv so i think he sees what happens but it's too late like the point that he has looked up is like they're already fighting he just like the the lack of color drains from his face and he looks at puck he's like heath and then starts making for the door immediately yeah puck is already on her way too Back to you, Heath. 
Okay, Heath is going to try and get up off the ground again. Is it still holding me? No, it just sort of slammed you and left you. It's gone to retrieve its crowbar. Okay, well, natural 12. Heath jumps up off the ground, and as he's going, he uh, takes his hand to, like, his collarbone, and he rips through his shirt to get to something on his around his neck. He's already kind of assessed the situation and worked out it's faster than me, it's harder than me. This is really bad. And thinking about the communicator, that wasn't working, and he is going to crunch down on his, like, the necklaces around his neck, crunch down and feel one of them shatter in his hand. As he pulls his hand away, it's blinking. I'm going to try... I'd like to, like, ready up for the next... Oh yeah, attack. You can, you can Does hold that, your would action. that give me advantage? Yeah. If you're if I like take a stance. Yeah. If you're waiting it, I'll let you have advantage on meeting whatever comes next. It's a strange sight. This this man who's quite tall and thin. He looks wiry but athletic in his build, like a runner, like a sprinter. Goes and retrieves. He bends down to retrieve the crowbar from where it slid across the room. He's got his back to you. It's like he's not even worried about you. As he straightens up. He swings the crowbar from side to side experimentally, like almost like a baseball batter feeling the weight of the swing. And he turns around to you. Useful things. Very versatile. Good for breaking bones. Good for breaking doors. Not good for much else, I suppose. He punches the air, trying to just get into gear and looks at his... Love to see you without it. Hmm... I'm sure you would. Yeah, yeah, I would. And he's going to start running towards him. And right. he's going to kneel down and slide along the ground. But as he gets close, he is then going to kick up off the ground to try and confuse him of which direction he's going. Make, so is that a, are you playing to attack? Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, make an attack roll with advantage. Ten. Ten will do it. Okay, he flings up into the air and he twists in midair sticking out his leg and cracks it onto his forehead like forehead and down till his foot touches the ground Mm. you slam him from full standing till his face is in the ground you i'm pretty sure it's called like a log splitter kick or whatever where you use the the heel of your foot straight down and he's going to shout well i don't need one his head cracks the concrete below uh and i'm gonna say that's probably like a d6 of damage Six. Okay. <laughs> Given some damage back. All right. With a nine, as his head hits the ground, the hand that's holding the crowbar, and it's it's a pretty standard pry bar with one end that's hooked. He's holding it by the straight end. He brings the hooked one up, catches your other leg in the air, and yanks you down too. And he's going to basically like bring you smack down to the ground, which you were already traveling downwards anyway. Um, but this extra little pull brings you down. And you basically land on your chest on the ground, your face inches away from his in this sort of cracked concrete. Very clever. But not fast enough. And he's going to go for you again. So now make another speed check. Another two. Now 12. God damn it! That's my fourth that attack or my fourth speed two. check, though? Speed check. Attack. Speed check. You, you basically realise what's coming. You begin to kick away. Um, but his hands are faster. He grabs you by the collar and headbutts you in the face. He hits you once. You feel blood 
begin to seep from your nose and then again he brings his forehead down and you feel your nose break and blood begin to gush and he throws you down to the ground as he stands up again. Um, make a quick perception check for me. Yeah, that'll be only two damage, which seems disproportionate. I should roll damage before roll I tell again you again because of the two hits. Four. Uh, make a quick perception check for me. Uh, six. Six. It's hard to tell because of the bandages, because of the gloves, maybe even because of the lighting that you don't think he's really taking much of a beating at all. Even when you hit his head into the ground with anything else you've ever thought that had a body like this that you could beat, nothing has ever taken that kind of punishment, especially to the head, and not been groggy, not been dizzy, not been at least a little disabled by the fact that you had just cracked their skull on concrete. This thing does not seem to care. Great! I love that. Uh, as you sort of, he lets you get to your feet, he sort of twists his back and you hear the vertebra cracking as he sort of stretches out and goes, now we're getting warm. And as you sort of get up, you bring your fists up, you're bleeding from the nose. You're actually having to like spit to keep it out of your mouth. He looks at the crowbar in his hand. Perhaps it is an unfair advantage. And he tosses it to the side. He's swaying a little bit. That's what I said. I mean, he brings his hands up and sort of shows you the palms through. And you can see the rubber gloves. And as he turns them around slightly, you hear the shick as claws extend from the fingers. And they are three centimeter long curved claws. They look like paring knives. He like slumps a little bit. I was like, and that's not what, what some of us are built for this. Yeah, yeah, some of us are built differently. And he's gonna start walking up to him again. Alright, this is when Puck and Alistair clatter down the stairs. I'll let you pick, Heath, whether you are between him and the others, or whether you are on the opposite side and you have him surrounded. Up well, to you. So he threw me through the blood, which got me towards the other cave door, but then through the fight, I'd say we're probably on two sides of the room and they've entered um, to the, our right. Neither mm -hmm. of us are in front. We're more side by side. side, by yeah. side. Uh, well, I think Puck was in front. Yeah, Puck would be and she's leveling the gun. He's probably just taken like one too many hits to the head. He probably hasn't actually clocked that they're there yet. So he's just right. going to go in for this next round. Right. Make a speed check. Nine. Nat 12. Ten. Nat 12 for Alistair. And what did uh, the other guy get? Ten. Okay, so... As uh, Puck has run forward and, like, out of the bottom of the staircase, Heath hasn't noticed and he's starting to go forward. As they were running down, Alistair, as he started moving, kind of forgot for a second how injured he was. And then after taking a few steps, like, realised how much pain he's in and, like, oh, I am not fit for this... Um, and so as they were walking, like running along the corridor and down the stairs, he has pocketed his switchblades to be like, I don't think one-on-one -on -one combat is going to be good for me right now. Um, and he has called upon the revolver. And so as he rounds the corner coming down the staircase and sees what's happening, as Puck is like moving to the side to give him an opening and as Heath is running forward, he aims and fires the gun and I guess I have to roll and just to recap very briefly 
because the gun is a sentient weapon, the two of you both roll for your symmetry, that is your connectedness of will of purpose, uh, and if you get above a 12 on your combined roll, that means that you get to roll the hit with a d20, which means, obviously, that you're going to have a greater chance of hitting something. All right, so uh, we rolled a 16 symmetry, which means that's above a 12, so I rolled to hit, which is a 12, which I assume hits, and then I rolled a 12 damage, plus 4 is 16 damage. So as Heath is running forward, Alistair comes down, takes a second, pulls the trigger, and shoots the gun straight through the creature's leg because his thought is I don't know anything about this battle I just know that it's trying to kill Heath so I don't want to go for its face or like its head or anything so he just shoots straight for its like just above the kneecap on I guess it would be its left leg as you do this he realizing that the flow of battle has changed he spins towards you and as he realizes that you're aiming low he brings his body down so that trying to take as much of the force of the impact in his sort of shoulder and sides rather than his legs. He rolled a natural 12 just for speed, not to avoid the attack, but trying to take it somewhere else. So redirecting away from a limb to his vital organs, essentially. Yep. And he takes the hit full in his arm, his shoulder and his chest, and he's thrown backwards into the wall right next to one of the tunnel entrances. The shockwave and the crack reverberate incredibly loudly, and I want all of you to make saving throws. Uh, Have to beat an eight not to be slightly deafened. Seven. Nat 12. Alistair, you are the most shaken. Your ears are ringing the most. Everyone else. I'm also the closest to the gun, so I guess that makes sense. And in you kind of slump a little feeling this impact. It seems to take more out of you to use this gun and to keep yourself steady, even though the kickback is so mild in comparison. Alistair, you watch as the dust clears from the cracked concrete and you begin to worry slightly about the structural integrity of this place with so many things going off. (laughs) And you realise with a, a confident glee that you've seen what this gun can do. You've seen what it can do to a floating island. You've seen what it can do to Wendigos. You've seen what it can do to a brick wall. So this thing had to have taken some significant damage. Your sure. your optimism is rewarded as it slumps to the ground and then it begins to twist and it begins to move as it brings itself back up to its feet. You can see that the shirt has been burnt away around the arm and the upper shoulder and torso. You can see where there should be nothing but hole. You can see exposed bone and muscle and flesh in his arm, in his shoulder, in the right side of his chest, sorry, in the left side of his chest where his heart should be. And you can see as he stretches out the arm, as the flesh begins to tighten and grow over, as the wound begins to heal itself almost instantaneously, muscle begins to grow back, skin begins to creep back in until it's knitting together over the wound. Oh, that's not good. Alistair is still leaning against the wall. He's like been quite shaken by firing the gun, but he levels it again at the creature and he goes, Stay back! Stay back! In your head, 
you feel that coalescing at the base of your neck. You hear the voice of Faustus, the gun, in your spinal cortex. Alistair, you need to run. Quiet enough that the others can't hear him, just kind of in his own internal voice goes, Heath can't handle that thing on his own. I'm not leaving him. Alistair, I said run! And the gun disappears. Oh! I rolled a six to get up, so I'm still kind of struggling to my feet as the gun disappears. Yep. What? Great. Heath is going to spit some of the blood out of his mouth, and he's going to grab at his neck again, and he's just going to wrench all of the necklaces he has on. He has, and just tear them off and he's going to hurl them across the room towards you guys and then getting back into like a boxing stance and starts to take small steps towards the thing alright it rolls its neck and you hear the vertebra cracking and it kind of flexes its shoulders in and down to stretch the spine and he's going to shout out Puck Walsh grab Alistair and go. Block the stairs and go. It's trapped us here because it knows it can take us. I can buy you time. That's all I can buy you or we all die here. You listen to me now. You take Alistair up those stairs and you go. You don't see it. Alistair, you are too busy getting to your feet and Puck is not in your direct eyesight. But Puck's face crumples almost in fear and in defeat and in a deep anxiety. And then it hardens into a mask of professional certainty. She nods, says nothing. She turns around to you, Alistair, as you are getting yourself to the feet. She grabs you by the arms and then around the legs and she hauls you over her shoulder and she bodily fireman carries you as she begins taking the stairs two at a time. Heath sways a little bit and then walks over to the room, the other side of the room, as the thing is like flexing and growing back and he picks up its uh, crowbar and does the same thing as it swings it back and forth. Uh, you hear as the vocal cords seem to snap back into service. <sighs> That's more like it. Well, now that the children are away, the mice can play. <laughs> okay, let's play. All right, speed checks. 11. Okay, 11 plus 2, that's 13. Uh, he rolled a 10. Your boy's faster. Okay, he sees him coming. It's also the fact that he was basically sitting down where he was before, so he mm-hmm. can see the full motion. He sees him going, and he steps to the side, squatting down a little bit, and he's going to bring the crowbar along and undercut both of his legs. And while he's in the air, bring it back and crack it down on him, cracking him down into the ground. You take him full in the chest and slam him into the ground. That would be a D6 plus one. Seven. He crunches into the concrete and immediately begins to roll away. He is almost cat-like on all fours, not on hands and knees, but on hands and feet. And you're thinking, 
Something about his legs should not be able to do that. And then he launches up. Not at you, he launches directly up to the ceiling, grabs the ceiling, and then launches himself down from the ceiling on top of you. That one, uh, he dives for you, but the angle is wrong. You swing in. I'll let you roll with opportunity as you swing straight for the head. 11? 11 hits. Okay, so as he's coming towards him, it's just batter up and cracks into his head as he's coming towards him. Five. You make solid contact with his head and you feel bone crunch underneath. And as he sort of slumps into the ground and begins to roll back up onto hands and knees and get himself to his feet. He swings the crowbar a few times. Says, so, you heal. Do you feel pain? Immeasurably. You're stepping forwards, you bring the crowbar up again, and you just feel it as he just punches you straight in the face. And it's just like a jab <laughs> smack in the face. It's just a smack. And then he goes again to do exactly the same thing, and this time your head's already a little bit further back, and you just sort of duck to the side, and you, you can attack now. 14. So, punches me, dodge it, bam, do the same thing. Yeah, you hit him again, and... Again, you feel something crunch under your hand as you hit him and the, the goggles that seem to cover his eyes crack a little. You punch him back. He kicks you in the stomach. Bastard! <laughs> yeah, you're just, at this point, you are just slogging it out um, as you wail on this guy and you begin even as he's stepping forwards again. You can see like a little chunk of his jaw pop out from where you had caved it in with the crowbar as he seems to be healing underneath bones reconstructing yeah. as he steps in again <laughs> he's rolling very well but he has some crazy pluses to his attacks um this time he grabs you by the head like you swing with the crowbar he ducks grabs you by the side of the head and then just swings you full bodied he swings your head into the wall smash heath slumps to the to the ground hands on the floor spits out some more blood and then he's going to grab him around the legs and kick off from the ground activating Virgo and smash him into the roof mm-hmm. and fall back down with him to the ground. You do not notice him slowing. He seems to be taking time to allow his his muscles and things to regroup as they're healing. He's not pushing it while they're healing. But when they're not healing, he's as fast as ever, and he's giving you no indication that he's running out of stamina. You, on the other hand, are rapidly running out of stamina. Fighting Wendigos is one thing, but the least you can say for them is that when you put them down, they stay down. Mm. This thing does not want to stay down, and you haven't had to fight this strenuously for this long since early, early tier days. Okay, uh, so that's another level 11 to hit. All right, hits. Okay, so Heath is going to, basically, as he's still healing, twist using the vertigo ability to build up some force, and he's going to going to hit with the crowbar, but turns it slightly and crunches the head of it in to basically his side, into, like, his shoulder, and pulls it bodily and throws him physically across the room. Yep. Letting go of the, the crowbar as it goes, as it's stabbed into him. The crowbar stays in him. He slides across the room. And you can hear a wheezing cry from this thing. Five damage. He rolls onto his knees and is tugging at the crowbar, trying to pull it out of his his chest. He 
yanks it and it begins to seep out. You can see blood is running down the ruined shirt. He looks up at you. This is what I was promised. This is Morningstar in all his glory. I'm glad we got to do this before the end. He sways a little bit trying to think of something to say and just spits more blood out. I'm not letting you pass me. You do not have a choice. You are not strong enough. He sways a little and punches the air again and slaps up. This lay in the game, it's not about strength, it's just about buying time. Have you made your peace? He launches forwards, and this time this is faster than before. He takes you around the waist, he just straight rugby tackles you to the ground. You smack backwards against the ground, you hit your head, and you realise that he's pinned you to the ground. He's got one knee in your stomach, preventing you from breathing in well, and he's got one hand wrapped around your wrist, bending your arm at a poor angle. The other fist comes up, nat 12, and he brings it down into your shoulder blade, and he snaps the the bone where the shoulder meets the arm on your left arm, and that's going to be 11 damage as you feel your arm break. He just coughs at <laughs> And hit again, this time in the middle of the sternum. Uh, you feel uh, ribs breaking underneath the punch. And again, in this time in the right shoulder as he begins to dismantle you. What's the damage? Uh, another 11. And uh, that one's a three. <laughs> Four rolls. <laughs> um, and you realise that both your arms are now well out of commission. This is going to get much more difficult now. He looks down at you. You can see your own blood dripping from the fists. And then he brings it down right on the forehead. That's not a great roll either. That's only five damage. All right, your turn. Great. Um, three plus two, five. Uh, Heath tries to like use his legs and shimmy and try to push him off of him. Does not work. Another nine. He hits you again. He's just laying into you now. He's breaking ribs. He's breaking collarbone. Uh, he's avoiding the face and part of your brain that isn't either screaming in pain or shock or just going numb says this is what you do when you want to hurt someone without knocking them out this is what you do when you want them to stay conscious Heath you are in a state of shock that you've never been in before you're beginning to feel like your body just isn't responding, like there's nothing that will actually answer the call of your brain. You can feel dull waves of pain crashing over you, but nothing substantial enough, nothing enough to kind of bring your brain out of this reverie until you realise that he's stopped. And this bandaged, mottled face with these strange ears is looking down at you. You know, they say... The greatest defeat for a general is watching his men die. The greatest disgrace for a teacher is the disgrace of his pupils. Maybe it would be best to take the children first. And he stands up from where he's been kneeling on top of you. And grabbing you by the shirt, he begins to drag you into one of the tunnels. You watch as streaks of blood are left after you. You can barely 
keep yourself conscious as you watch the light disappearing as the tunnel's dark grows all around you. You don't know how long he drags you for. Time and matter begin to lose all meaning for you as you just in this world of darkness and of crashing waves of pain. And then you feel yourself being shoved down into the ground into some kind of divot, some kind of crack, some kind of hole, almost like a grave. And you feel that you are wedged in so tight that you can barely move, but you can't feel your body enough to move it anyway. Now you just wait there. I'll come get you when it's time. That make my mind scared Hold me hostage and they don't fight fair Who gon' pray for me and wipe on my tears Who gon' save me if you not right here Move this darkness and make my sight clear Take me your way cause I don't like here Ghost of my past, they feelin' the night air Wake me up, I'm trapped in my nightmares Dark Tides is created and produced by Aubrey Lydon. It is edited by and starring Chester Lydon and BJ Ingate. You can find us on most forms of social media. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash darktidespod, Twitter at twitter.com slash darktides, and Patreon at patreon.com slash darktidespod. We have a bunch of bonus content over there, almost a year's backlog, in fact. That includes uh, mini-series, monthly bonuses, uh, two different ongoing shows. One of them is a in-world news chat show. The other is an ongoing sci-fi fantasy campaign, which is a lot of fun. You can check out all of those different perks for supporting the show over on Patreon. Uh, We will see you again next week for the next installment of this adventure in Dark Tides. Until then, have a good week. Drowning, drowning, I'm off the deep end Apparitions of all my demons All my thoughts are committing treason All alone, who gon' hear me screaming? Ah! Manifestations of my fears Regrets that stretched out for light years Can almost touch the light, homie, it's right there Body free but trapped in my nightmares <laughs>